Hey friends, welcome to The Beat Goes On, a pro-life podcast hosted by Piedmont Women's Center in Greenville, South Carolina. If you've been looking for a pro-life podcast to help you better understand the pro-life position and other issues surrounding it, navigate sensitive conversations with clarity, confidence, and kindness, and understand and stay up to date on the latest pro-life news and legislation, The Beat Goes On is the podcast for you. Our hope at Piedmont Women's Center is that the Beat Goes On podcast will bring clarity to your thoughts and equip and empower you with the confidence to humbly serve the women and men in your community. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to the Beat Goes On. It is still November, which means it is still Adoption Awareness Month, and I am very excited. We have Elizabeth here from Quiverful, and she's going to be sharing with us about Quiverful today. They are one of the agencies that we recommend to our clients. Um, so she's going to just going to tell us a little about about them, and also just talk to us about adoption and help us um, be able to educate others and just have conversations with the people that God brings into our lives. So welcome to the Beat goes on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we are excited to have you. So can just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into adoption work? Yes. So um, my husband and I have been married for 12 years coming up here on the 20th. So um, we always just felt like we were going to adopt. Um, We knew that we um, just had a burden to pursue adoption, but we always felt like it would be on the other side of biological children. Um, We live right up here in the upstate in Powdersville. um, And we, after we got married, we started to be okay with building our family at that point. And it wasn't happening. And so initially we started just saying, you know, it, it, it'll happen when it's supposed to. And then after we got diagnosed with infertility, we found out that outside of a miracle, we would not be able to conceive. At that point, I was working for a marketing firm in the upstate and um, had no plans of moving into adoption world. Um, but after walking through, we started to pursue my, my our son's adoption. Um, and after we pursued his adoption, that's when really I felt like the Lord just showed us little spaces where um, change could happen and that things could be done a little bit differently. And so we started really praying through like what it would look like to have an adoption ministry. And ultimately, that's where it started. We were like, okay, we want to be a resource for and just build a community for adoptive families. That was our heart. Um, After walking through the adoption journey ourselves, we felt like that was a big piece that was missing. Um, and our big burdens at that point in time were for affordability in adoption, for community, and for education. Um, we felt like it was just such a a cold process. It was a it was more paper heavy than conversations. Mm-hmm. And we just felt like there needed to be some relationship to that journey. It was a lonely journey anyway. Um, and we couldn't understand why there wasn't more of just a personable experience. Um, so we started meeting with, you know, different families and honestly, it was, it was just like a hobby. Um, I worked my nine to five and in my off hours, I would meet with families and talk to them about how we made adoption affordable for us, um, and point them to different resources that we had found along the way in our journey. 
And um, I guess a few months into doing that, um, I met, we went to a fair, an adoption fair, and we were asked, like, why are y'all not doing this? You know, why aren't you providing this service to families as a business? And it's something that we just had honestly no, we had, that was not our intention Mm -hmm. at all going into it. Um, But I started just to seek the Lord. Um, Me and my friend Casey at the time, you know, she was an adoptive mom that kind of walked through her adoption journey with at the same time as, as we did. And we started talking about it and sharing ideas about what that could look like. And so we started Quiverful. Was she helping you with these? Yes. Yes. Already. Yes. Okay. So we we met we we met through mutual friends, and after sharing our own journeys, she a big piece of it for her was the affordability side of it, and she had fundraised her entire adoption, um, and so she helped me a lot with that. I helped her a lot just in conversations with like sharing her story and talking to di- and resources and talking to her about like the importance of just sharing a story and how you can connect to people and. Um, out, at that point in time, back in 2014, uh, really a lot of the adoption agencies out there were utilizing, you know, yellow page ads and um, some very <laughs> archaic approaches to getting in front of um, expectant moms and just made it seem more like a, um, they were looking to went over these women who were in crisis um, situations and looking for alternative options for their pregnancy. And for us, it was just like, these are real people, mm-hmm. you know, like how can we get in front of real people and talk to them about where they are? And so anyway, we kind of collaborated and started talking to families about through education, how we can feel like we're called to adopt, but also it becomes such a bigger, more important picture when we are also considering this woman as a person, Mm -hmm. this expectant mother as a person. She's a real individual with real, you know, she's in her own journey and she's in a story. And um, when you approach it like that, the adoption can become a beautiful thing. And so we collaborated. We started sharing with the family, these families together um, and kind of partnering in speaking at these adoption fairs in South Carolina um, and just sharing, you know, what we've learned and essentially that's all it was. So when this um, other adoption professional approached us about becoming a business, it was just like so far out of left field, but we both agreed, you know what, we'll pray about it, we'll seek the Lord, and if he's in it, he'll make it very obvious. And so we did, and we had such a peace about it. Um, We continued to just ask questions and lean into um, other, you know, wise voices in the community um, who had gone before us and asked questions about, you know, what hurdles they faced and what issues that they, you know, in their length of time in the adoption world um, that they encountered. And it just felt like around probably early 2015, um, I'll never forget, we got the opportunity to take a profile book for one of our our adoptive families to a um, attorney, an adoption attorney. Um, who was presenting profiles for uh, an expectant mother. And um, we, you know, my, my friend Casey ran inside to deliver that. And I sat in the car. And because I was sitting in the car, I witnessed the woman leaving, the expectant mother leaving um, that office. And that, to this day, just 
when people ask like how did Quiverful start that is the that is the one image that is just burned into my mind the reason we started Quiverful as most people know it today as the agency the full service agency we did it because I was not okay watching her leave in that parking lot and just the question that burned into my mind was like what what now for her where does Mm -hmm. she go now and when I started asking questions about what happens to these women after they place a child for adoption and I started seeing consistently that there wasn't a ton of post-placement care. Um, there wasn't a ton of resources to point her towards um, after she made that choice. I just felt like that's a service that we could step in and provide that isn't being provided right now, um, or at least to the scale mm-hmm. that I could. I felt like it could be. So um, that is essentially what started the conversations about we need to become a licensed agency for the state of South Carolina. Um, and so we did. We started pursuing that. Uh, we pr- pursued our nonprofit status and becoming a child placing agency in the same year. And then Quiverful, as we know it now, was born. And really, um, you know, through that, we we completed the adoption of my, our son. And then we pursued another adoption in 2017. So we okay. have two children through adoption. Um, our son Grant, who's eight, and our daughter Elliot uh, just turned five. So, um, like I mentioned, we, we live in the upstate here. We have two dogs, uh-huh. and uh, it's just it's a it's been a very fun journey. So, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. So, what two questions? Why the name Quiverful, and what sets Quiverful apart from other adoption agencies? Yes, so. The name Quiverful, um, that has been a fun journey as well. So when we started, we knew, obviously, we were, Casey and I both were believe, our believers, and we knew, you know, that our faith had brought us up to that point, and we wanted faith to be incorporated and to be something we stood on as an agency moving forward. Um, and so in church, just growing up in church, one of the verses uh, in Psalm 127 is where we pulled the word the the name quiverful from but that was one of the verses that we just felt like was such a disqualifier um just as a woman who walked through a, se- a season of infertility but also I have as I've spoken to different other women um that you know have different stories than mine they felt it was a disqualifier as well maybe because of not having a lot of children or maybe because of you know there's just so many different ways to interpret that scripture but um, ultimately I felt like it was just like a line through a scripture that I wasn't receiving a blessing because of this or something and I knew that wasn't true but that's just you know in my faith journey that was something that I battled and I just felt like what better more redeeming way what better more inclusive name could we come up with that would point people to the fact that the way that I see adoption and the way that we began through our own education um, journeys to see this more as a collaborative family versus a, um, you know, the adoptive family growing their family and grow, growing their quiver to be full and receiving blessing because of it. The quiver being more of an inclusive, like, no, the family is the biological family as well as the adoptive family. And that is where the blessing mm-hmm. So by bringing them together in a sense. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. So um, that is why the name Quiverful, um, it, it comes directly from scripture. 
Um, and really what sets us apart, right? I mean, as an agency right now, this has certainly been a transition year for us. Just post-COVID, there's been COVID. There's been lots of, you know, transition in our office as well, just with staff. But through it all, at the beginning of the year, we really tried to boil down what exactly sets us apart. And it is the fact that we pursue affordable adoptions, that we pursue lifetime post-placement care for expectant mothers, but also that we are a relational agency in that the goal when a woman comes to Quiverful is not that she places her child for adoption. The goal is that we are able to honestly just slow the process down for her because what we have seen is that women that come to us looking for, you know, more information about an adoption, they feel like they have to make a decision today. Mm -hmm. And that's, just not true. Um, and so the more we can slow down that process, the less likely she feels pressured into any kind of decision, the more we can unpack and just slow it down and minister to her. And really that's what I feel like the biggest thing that sets us apart is it truly is a ministry. Like if you crack us open, the goal at the end of the day is not X number of adoptions or quick placements or any of that. It is ultimately are, do we feel good about being able to say that we served the adoption triad as a whole, the biological family, the adoptive family, the adoptee as they learn and they grow? Do we feel like we're able to resource them? Do we feel like we're able to love on them? And do we feel like we're able to point them back to the Lord um, in all of our conversations? So ultimately, I think being able to say to a woman, you know, we will cover both pre-placement and post-placement counseling, you know, for them to be able to see a licensed counselor and talk to them about the pros and the cons and out and weighing their decision. And then post-placement, if they do decide to, to place a child for adoption, that that is, you know, something that they get for a lifetime, no matter how many visits they Mm -hmm. need, it's covered by our agency post-placement. We also have a monthly um, birth mom support group that is not just exclusive for women who have placed through our agency. It's any woman who has ever placed a child for adoption through an agency, an attorney, oh, 10 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, six okay. months ago. It doesn't matter. And that meets monthly. It is birth mom led. It's led by a birth mom who placed about five years ago. Um, and our agency does nothing other than support the Zoom, (laughs) start the Zoom meeting for everybody. Um, And then our agency steps out of the meeting and then it is completely led by biological moms. So So you mentioned that you try to slow the process down for the birth mom so that she has time to process and think things through. How do you guys slow that down? Yeah. So the first thing, I mean, even from the very first phone call, um, when a mom reaches out or text message or however they reach out, um, we just let them know that we are working at their pace. Our job at that point is to answer their questions and support them and certainly point them in a direction if they need more support or resources. Um, but ultimately it is to let them feel supported and let, and start to inform them of their options. Right? So, even from the very first, we used to just jump right in and try to get as much information as we could. And we've slowed that down to where 
you call us and we're gonna we're gonna answer your questions. And then if you say that you are ready to move forward, and we'll tell them this on the phone too, if they're ready to move forward, then we'll move forward and collect information. But just as simple as shifting our goal of answering the phone and getting information to answering the phone and giving information. Okay. So from the very first phone call, it just becoming like looking for ways to, and we have to check ourselves, right? Because just human nature is Mm -hmm. like, okay, let me get my job done, (laughs) right? But when we turn it into our job is to support versus our job is is to um, collect information, start a file and ABCD, um, that naturally just slows the process Mm -hmm. down. So in intake, just in the first very phone call, that process is slowed down. Once she starts asking questions about adoption, it feels like that's more what she's leaning to. Um, If she's local, we always try to sit down and just meet face to face because we feel like even that it it just feels better. It's more human, right? If we can be face to face with someone um, and that is possible, we want to do that. Um, We want to support her in her parenting first. So some of the times we will, um, you know, as we're giving her information, we don't just say, okay, you're um, calling an adoption agency. So you must be interested in adoption and that's all we're going to give you. We also give her information on what that would look like to parent. Um, We try to ask kind of go back to the why why does she feel like she can't parent Mm -hmm. you know is it outside influences is it family is it you know is it lack of finances is it is that the main motivator if so how can we resource you and help you so that that eliminates that you know and, and we're able to help um you know there's just so many different programs out there through like united way and um just I mean, the Dream Center in Pickens County. There's just a lot of resources out there that can help someone if financial, if the financial driver is the only driver and reason for not parenting. Yeah, I love that. Coming to supporting her if she wants the parent to be able to do that. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when you're talking with these women and kind of walking them through the thought process, what are some common concerns or objections that you hear from them? with regards to placing their child for adoption? I think probably the first and foremost is what will my child think of me? Will they hate me? Mm -hmm. Will they think I didn't love them? Um, I think that's probably just probably the most common that we hear. Um, Another being, you know, what will others think of me? Um, Will people think of me as a bad person because I gave my child away. Um, and then I think probably the other being, will I never see my child again? Mm-hmm. Is this it? Will I even be able to see what they look like as they grow? Will they even know who I am? Um, you know, will this relationship just be lost? Yeah. So how do you walk them through those concerns? Um, I think for, will my child hate me? I mean, that is just, I think all of them, honestly, we walk them through by giving them this pointing them to the same response and that is the way that quiverful operates we so another thing that sets us apart is we only work with family adoptive families who are willing to pursue an open adoption okay open adoption can look very different um and in our state in south carolina there is no statute there's no so it's ultimately just a gentleman's handshake right the level of openness is just a mutual agreement um nothing written in stone but from the very beginning when we are looking at 
approving families for our agency. We only approve families who are willing to have at least one visit a year at a minimum. So that is what we kind of define as our agency as what an open adoption looks like is one visit and then communication throughout the year as well. Um, But certainly that's the minimum. And we leave that ultimately up to the expectant mother. So going back to your question, I think just informing her that adoption doesn't look like it did 20 years ago, certainly not through our agency. Um, We do not advocate closed adoption. Um, We also want her to tell us what her desires are. Does she want three visits a year? Does she want to come to birthday parties? Does she not want any of that and just wants pictures and updates and, you know, to call the child on their birthday every year, you know? And then we, based off of what her desires are, that's what we walk, that's what we work with. That's what, that's the minimum that the adoptive family. Okay. So you'll present that to the prospective family to Correct. let them know, like, this is what you can probably expect yeah. if you are placed with this child and this mother. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, just the seriousness of that commitment mm-hmm. that, even though it isn't like written in any kind of legal paperwork that you don't say yes to this if you're not comfortable with this level of openness, Mm -hmm. because this is the level of openness that we intend for you to uphold throughout the, the child's life. This is an aside because I want to come back to those concerns, but do you think it's a good idea? um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you think it's a good idea for South Carolina to pursue something where maybe that is legally protected? An agreement like that where it's not just a gentleman's handshake that way yeah. the mom feels more confident that um you know she is going to be able to have the have the open adoption that she wants and agrees to and I do I think as we as a state um look at okay when the rubber meets the road how are we really supporting women who are looking for at adoption as an alternative option, as parenting as an alternative option. Um, and I think it is very important as we pursue those conversations as a state to lean into amplifying her voice and okay. protecting her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if she's going to pursue an adoption and we're telling her that it's going to maintain an open, she has nothing protecting her or guaranteeing her of that. Right. And I think the least we can do as a state is look at some of our, I mean, our adoption laws, some of them, I think there is a a reason um, to reevaluate some of that. So I think putting something in writing and allowing an open adoption relationship to be at least, you know, on some level, something to be written up so that she feels like, okay, they're not just going to say this and then change their mind. The adoptive family to uphold their end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of reassure her um, that through an open adoption that ho- hopefully her child will grow up with an understanding of why she made that choice. Cause it's such a hard in- choice and selfless choice to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also, you said that they also kind of worry like what are other people going to think? Yeah. And I think giving her the words just to explain that to her peers or to her family to say, well, it's not what it, because there's just the stigma of adoption, you know, as if I'm talking to my parents' generation, they see adoption in the way that it looked, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And just 
even giving her the words to be able to go back to them and say, it's changed though. It's not what it was. What are some of those words? What do you say? You know, so like, do you, yeah, what are they, what do you tell them to say? Just giving them the definition of what open adoption looks like. Like, okay. um, this is not me placing a child and then never seeing them again. I will have a relationship with my child that, you know, biological grandparents, that's another thing. Like if the expectant mom wants the biological grandparents to have a relationship with the child, we've seen beautiful open adoptions where it's not just the biological parents. It is extended family gets to celebrate birthdays and extended family is there and still feels that grandparent relationship. Um, and so I think just telling the, these women that, you know, you can go back and explain that open adoption isn't just for you. It's for them as well. Mm-hmm. And that, you are still a big part of this child's life. It isn't a, just a closed door. It's not you signing a piece of paper and then losing touch with that child. Um, it's, and I think just answering her questions as it pertains to her individual situation, like what would this look like, you know, if the biological father is involved? What does this look like if the biological father isn't involved? And just listening to what her fears are mm-hmm. and what really, if you get, if you have a conversation with someone and it's not just here's some information, but you're actually willing to sit down with them and hear and get to kind of the root of right. where her fears lie and then being able to specific to her situation, answer those fears and kind of give her some ammo to take back mm-hmm. to her, her family who, or her friends or whoever the voice is that is saying, you don't need to do that or Um, I heard that that's terrible for the child or I heard that the child will hate you or, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's good. That's really helpful. What are some concerns that you hear from potential families about uh, open adoption? Yeah. Um, It's definitely a fear for adoptive families going into it. It, To be very transparent, it was a fear for me going Mm -hmm. into it because there's Are both of your children open adoption? They are. Okay. Yes. We have open adoptions with both of our children's biological parents. Um, But I think the fear comes from, number one, I think the fear comes from the media and how just Hollywood through the years has made painted adoption to look. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you rarely hear of successful stories in any any topic, anything at all. Um, You hear horror stories, scary things. That's the stories that the salacious stories are the ones that spread. Those are the ones that get the attention. Exactly. Um, And so I think just having tangible stories of real life, everyday people who make this work and how it's not a thing. And it's, it's not scary. And it's ultimately, it's just an extension of family. So, I mean, unpacking for adoptive families by giving them, pointing them to people who have done this gone before them and done this and who were just as scared as they were um but want just making anything we can do to make these women real people to allow Mm -hmm. the adoptive families to see these women as not just the birth moms but Mm -hmm. oh that is you know Susie she is a person she you know she you stand in line next to her getting groceries every week or you pump gas next to her or she you know trying to humanize Mm -hmm. instead of just lumping together and saying all birth moms are this, you know, personality type and all birth moms, you know, you have something to fear for letting. I think the other thing is the challenge of the word mother. Um, I think a lot of the women that pursue adoption um, 
out of infertility haven't allowed themselves enough time to grieve. So, um, and walk through, you know, the grief process for their infertility. And just understanding that these women who are placing their children for adoption are choosing you. That choice is theirs. The choice isn't being made for them. Um, So the posture is completely different too. They want you to parent this child. And they not only have chosen to pursue adoption because they feel it's best or they feel empowered and that this, considering all their options on the table, this is the one that they want. They've also then chose you, the family. They have had a a voice in choosing Mm -hmm. the family that, that parents their child. They named you mom. And it really, once you're a parent, you see this isn't a challenge for who gets called mom. It's the more people in your community, the more people in your corner that love your kids, the better. Yeah. And it really is a beautiful thing when, when you're willing to just open up your hands and release control of, over, you know, well, what if our kid doesn't think I'm mom? Or what if my, you know, my child 10 years from now says, you're not my real mom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I said some terrible things to my parents yeah. growing up and they were my biological <laughs> we did, parents. Right? Yeah, yes. right. Teenage kids are teenage kids. Um, but the more support that you have and the more adults mm-hmm. in your family um, and extended family who love your child, that's just more support for you to lean on. That's more um, support for them to go to and be loved by. And it's such a beautiful thing. I've seen it look very different. It looks very different in my home. Um, we have two very different relationships with our kids' birth moms. But it's so beautiful, and it's never felt challenging. Like, I've never felt challenged for my title as mom. And I've never also felt like that's a a war that I'm out to get either. Um, I love being able to watch my kids' relationships with their birth parents grow and develop as they age. And um, so, yeah, I think just across the board, whoever has the fear, just really going, taking the time to pull the car over and say, What's driving that fear? Mm-hmm. Like, why does that feel scary to you? Um, and then trying to explain and point them to just real life stories, not Hollywood, not yeah. a book they read or s- what their grandmother told them about this person in the community that placed a child for adoption before. Yeah. So it's not like what you're saying for those of us who are on the other side here who are speaking to women about possibly choosing adoption because that's a that's one of the plans that we try to present here at Piedmont Women's Center. Mm-hmm. When we speak with a woman in a room, we are trying to help her either develop an adoption plan or a parenting plan. Um, but, you know, for people just out in the community and the churches who, you know, because not every woman comes into Piedmont Women's Center, you're going to, you guys are going to have opportunity to speak with people. It's not like you're saying just like slow down. Yeah. And just really ask questions listen and just take the time um, because we're so uh, we want to save lives so badly which is what we're doing here um, that if you know mother's considering that we're going to get excited and maybe like be a little too much in a hurry so just yes. slowing down for both the sake of the mother the sake of the child and the sake yes. of the adoptive family that yes. is like kind of what we need to do yes absolutely I think just our our motivation, any at any experience where we're wanting to step in and minister and help and serve, um, a lot of times, in in my experience, I've seen myself jump to solutions 
before hearing like Mm -hmm. everything. And that's something I think you guys do a beautiful job of is being willing to sit with women and talk and, you know, hear. And I think just as humans, we can all do a better job of slowing down in this fast paced world that we live in. (laughs) Yeah, that is so so true. Um, I want to go back to concerns really quick. Um, I was asking some of our staff here, what is a common objection that they hear? Mm -hmm. Um, And they mentioned that when they are speaking with a woman about adoption, one of the biggest objections that gets brought up is that it would just be really hard to carry a child for nine months. It's a lot of work. It's a lot to go through physically and emotionally just to give it up for adoption. Do you have any thoughts on how to help a woman think through that yeah, or how our uh, volunteers or staff can speak with her and kind of walk her through that thought process. I think it, I think it is by asking her in, in response to that concern and that question is turning it back around to who says it's only nine months, you know, like who says it's a lot, you know, I'm hearing you say, it's a lot of work to just put into nine months, but is it a lot of your, when you look at the lifetime of the child, are, does it feel like you're not going to be a part of the child's life for their lifetime? Does it feel like you're not going to be a part of, you know, developing and molding and loving that child forever? Um, you know, it's, I think just reevaluating that timetable. Cause again, I think anybody in crisis or anybody that's going through, they have a, you know, you tend to zero in on just the time surrounding, mm-hmm. you know, your immediate crisis right now, right? Yeah. So um, it's a lot of work or a lot of effort to put into, you know, carrying a child for nine months to then say, like, is the other part of that just then say goodbye? Yeah. Because if we're pursuing open and adoption, you're not saying goodbye. Right. You know, you're staying in communication. You're still a part of the child's life to the level that you want to be. Um, Are you co-parenting? No, it's not a co-parenting relationship. It is an adoption. However, you are not saying goodbye to that child at the end of that nine months. It then turns into a different relationship. You know, you're not in the day-to-day with that child. However, you are still a very important piece to this this child's life and giving them that opportunity to still have that life. Um, is that worth? Yeah. That, I you love know? that. Just kind of restructuring how we think about it. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And just yeah. re-educating on what it can look like. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize that that's an option. No. And a lot of, to them. I think a lot of the vast majority of people and even in like the big C church, the vast majority of people, think of it as, you know, okay, a, an open adoption, they might may even lean more towards a semi-open adoption where, I mean, you can get a picture of the child, you can get... Yeah, what's the difference between you know, open and semi-adoption? So it is a spectrum. Okay. Yeah, it's a huge spectrum. Um, semi-open, you know, is more like you ha- you know the name, you've, you've seen the adoptive family, um, you know the name, you have access through the agency to contact them um whereas closed adoption is you have no idea where the child went you don't know the adoptive family's name you've never seen a photo of them 
the adoptive family has never seen a photo of you. They don't know your name. Um, they may know your initials. Okay. And everything else has been redacted as far as health background and everything. Um, so a semi-open adoption would be one step from that, which would be an exchange of names, an exchange of photos. You know a little bit more. They know a little bit more about you. Um, Do you have direct contact or is it you go through the agency to have contact? You go through the agency okay. to have contact. Okay. That would be considered a semi-open okay. adoption. Now, an open adoption, that steps into more of the spectrum. So an open adoption looks like you have direct contact, but what does that look like? And that's where we were talking about it would be super helpful to be able to have something written and upheld um, as a, according to the terms that are set for that open adoption. Um, but it can look anywhere from, you know, having a cell phone number or an email address and sending an update once a month or a, a text message or having a phone call um, all the way to multiple visits a year with the child. Mm-hmm. you know, and communication throughout the year mm-hmm. as well. So, okay. Yeah. That's helpful to differentiate between those. I will say most common open adoptions, like what we see is kind of as far as what expected moms desire and what's comfortable for, for them, because it is a little uncomfortable for them to sit down, especially not knowing the family and say, you know, they, they tend to be a little bit more timid on mm-hmm. what their requests are. Okay. And so that's one reason that I think, or that's one, one thing that we usually try to tell them is like, Hey, you, you may not right now want a visit. It might not be, it might not feel comfortable to you, but is a visit something that you would want to work towards? Or maybe one visit feels overwhelming, but do you feel like there might be a time where you might want to work towards two visits a year? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, because, and we tell our adoptive families the same thing. You know, just like any relationship, any adult relationship, it, there are ebbs and flows. There are busy seasons and hard seasons and great seasons um, in, in your life. And you, when you look at your friend circle, you may have a year where you get together and you're super intentional. And then you may have three years that pass right. and you don't see anybody. Um, and you're, when you're dealing with two people, um, you know, that's generally how relationships go. So just extending grace and knowing that as an expectant mom, as a biological parent, you have permission to say, Hey, I know I said I only wanted pictures, but do you think that it would be okay if we could schedule a visit? And then having an adoptive family who embrace that and Mm -hmm. say, yes, we would love that because they've taken the time and slowed down enough to see her as a human as well. Okay. So so you have this lifetime care. Yes. Can you help us understand what women um, go through after they place their child for adoption that they need this for? Like what kind of emotions, experiences do they have afterwards? Yeah. Um, I think it it depends. Um, we have certainly seen women who experience, a, a, like immediately after placement, experience a ton of grief and they are looking to talk to someone. And if so, that's there for them. Um, but we also have women who feel like they don't need it for a little bit of time. They, they go home from the hospital. They have, you know, some positive family or friend support that have supported them in their choice um, for adoption. And they feel, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place. I've got, you know, 
a stable job that I'm stepping into or I've got a great community that I'm stepping into. Can I just let you know? Yes, we may not hear from you for five Mm -hmm. years and then you need it and it's here for you if you need it. Um, But as far as what that looks like, I mean, the grief process is different for everyone. Um, I think when you look at how we as individuals handle any loss, um, we handle it differently if we compare one person to the next. Um, and this is no different than that. I think these, I think for the most part, we usually see a stepping back where they don't tend to communicate as much with us or the adoptive family in the beginning. Um, they, I think they just need some space. You know, their bodies are healing. Mm-hmm. They're going through some things um, and that's okay. And I think the way that we share with our adoptive families is the same way we approach it, just giving grace to that and being willing to give space, but not meaning, not that translating into cutting communication right. off. Still letting her know that you're here for her and resources are here when you're ready and um, checking in. Um, but I would say at, if I had to say, you know, most women, I would say most women after placement are going to, you know, just draw a little inward and there's going to be a little bit of quiet. Um, and then they you know, six months, a year later is when they reach out and then they really start utilizing our post-placement services. Do y'all ever follow up with them to check on them, see how they're doing? Yes, absolutely. So we stay in contact with them. We follow up, um, you know, pretty much right after we follow up weekly. And then if it's crickets and we feel like they don't, they're not responsive, we're still going to pursue them, but we're just going to back it up to like once every two weeks, we're Mm going to check in. Um, And that, I mean, that continues. We, send out a text to all of the women who have placed through our agency at least once a month. Okay. For ever. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love that you guys are really supporting the expectant or birth moms that we definitely try to do that here because we just feel like if we are supporting the mother, then we're supporting the child. And um, it's just a more holistic and loving approach, I think. Um, So like you mentioned earlier, uh, the affordability issue that's, uh, you know, that's a a holdback for a lot of people who want to adopt or are considering it. And how do you guys make it more affordable? So first, first and foremost, we just have like a absolution, like mindset over like our costs are not going to be over this amount. Um, We have a very slim staff, so we don't over hire. We don't have a huge building. We don't have a huge group of people working for us. There's six of us total. So we're a small agency. Um, but also my background in marketing, you know, that was my background was psychology. Like I, my undergrad was in psychology. Then I went into marketing. Um, but I was able to keep our marketing in house. And for a lot of agencies, they outsource marketing, which equals markup mm-hmm. on everything. Um, and we didn't do that. Um, we didn't outsource any of our marketing. I did all of that in-house. And so my approach to marketing is just like my approach to anything with our agency is that it has to be personable. Um, so we want to not look at it as us trying to get in front. We want to educate. And so that's our primary mode of marketing, educating and word of mouth. Um, and so ultimately that has cut our costs because we're not spending a ton of money on Google and Facebook ads and all of that. So that has helped us kind of outweigh 
the cost. We also have an incredible board that they're very active, um, a great volunteer team that is incredibly active. So it's not just falling on employees. Okay. The six of us. If, if someone's interested in volunteering for you guys, what kind of opportunities do you offer for volunteers? Yes, we offer everything from just admin stuff, um, you know, filing paperwork, that kind of thing. We love internships. Um, we have had a ton of um, people who want to do internships while they're on summer break or winter break in school. Um, but we do events. We're actually getting ready to do an event this spring for um, anyone who touched by adoption, uh, just a community event. So we definitely have opportunities for volunteers. We have a prayer team. We have um, a team of people who are talented, if you're talented in graphics Mm -hmm. or anything like that, we definitely have a need for that as well. Um, But we have have a Bible study that we do with our adoptive families that we love utilizing volunteers for. Um, Yeah, we've got... Can they just find that on the website? Yes, we have an application that you fill out if you're interested in volunteering on our website, quiverfulladoptions.com, so... Okay. Yeah. Um, I just want to say one more thing about slowing down and then I'm going to let you kind of close us out with some closing thoughts for us. Um, Just on that vein of slowing down, one of the things that we are trying to do here um, is when we speak with a mom about adoption, it's offering for her to be able to come here and meet with a rep. So someone from your agency or one of the, she chooses, you know, we present to her these are the ones that we recommend. Let her choose which one she'd like to meet with. Um, so that she has that opportunity, like you were saying, to meet with someone in a place that she already feels like she knows people. Right. Um, you know, if we can, it's great. If we can have the same volunteer staff member talk with her. She's already in a place that she's already been before. So we invite the rep to come in and um, speak with her, with these people, and in a place that she knows. So she feels safe. She feels comfortable. It's all confidential and she can just ask the questions that she wants mm-hmm. and get them answered. And there's no pressure for her to make any kind of decision. It's really just like, let's slow down and let's just, let's just talk about it and yeah. see what's good for you. What's good for your baby and move forward from there. So we're grateful to be able to work with agencies like yours that yeah. are willing to do that and just take that time. Well, and we love that you guys do that because I mean, I've said it a lot already but I just think there's such value in that Mm -hmm. Um, a woman who is in a crisis situation already feels so unsteady and so that any amount Mm -hmm. of steadiness that we can give any amount of footing that we can give her um, just is tremendous it it might seem like the smallest bit of effort on our part but it's not and And so yeah that's a a huge deal yeah so so anything that you want to close out saying either to moms who are considering this or adoptive families or both, anything you want to yeah. say? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think just going into this journey or maybe you're questioning whether or not you're supposed to step into this journey, whether it's from, you know, a placement standpoint or an adoptive family standpoint. Um, I think regardless, as you approach this journey, just evaluating and allowing yourself to get creative on what this could look like and slowing down like we've kind of been the theme of today's conversation but slowing down enough to have the opportunity to look at your fears and say what is really driving this fear Mm -hmm. and then if you can't find the answer you know reach out to us or reach out to um, you know someone in the adoption community to kind of 
dig a little deeper. Be willing to like sit in the unsure, sit in the, I haven't made a decision yet. It's okay to sit in that. Be willing Mm -hmm. to sit in that for a little bit longer as you're gathering information before you just rush to jump to a decision. So I think there's just so much to be said. And I think just, especially post COVID, I think that's something that I've just reevaluated in my own life. Like how many decisions in a day did I just feel so much pressure to jump into and make a quick decision? And there is room to slow down. So that would be just be my encouragement. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. How can people find Quiverful or get in contact? Yes. Get more information. Yes. So we are quiverfuladoptions.com. Um, you can find us online. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, our Instagram handle is QF Adoptions. And um, yeah, we are, we love talking about adoption. We love talking about just parenting options. And so reach out to us and we would love, we'd love to answer any questions anybody has. All right. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I feel like this was really helpful for both moms who are expecting as well as adoptive families and just the community in general. How a big goal of ours here is how can we help people have better conversations yeah. to help change hearts and minds around adoption and abortion and choosing life and birth and momhood and parenthood and all of that. So I think you really provided some really powerful and helpful information here. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. All right, friends. Thanks so much for joining us on The Beat Goes On today. We hope we've given you some things to think about. If you are interested in helping the pro-life work at Piedmont Women's Center, here are three quick and easy ways you can do that. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Take a screenshot and share the podcast with your friends on social media. Remember to tag us if you do. Or you can visit PiedmontWomensCenter.org to make a one-time or monthly donation. You make our pro-life work possible. Until next time.